Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And our special guest today is Carrie Gress, who is an author, doctor of philosophy, a mom of four little people, chasing wonder, beauty, sanctity, and sleep. And I like this in parentheses, Carrie, not necessarily in that order, depending on uh, the day. I'm guessing it could change, right? Yes, probably every hour, actually, it changes a little bit. Yes, so I, uh, I had four myself, and, uh, and I, you said you had one on the way, so congratulations. Thank uh, you, thank you. But I traveled a lot. My wife likes to remind me now all the things she had to go through. Uh, <laughs> when I was actually an energy trader and never home. So oh, I get oh, I get shamed so on a regular basis that I have absolutely nothing to counter it with other than, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, At least you know the right response. Well, you know, after 30-some years of marriage, you figure it out after giving the wrong response way too many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just justifi- justifying my actions has never really worked, so I, I've given up mm-hmm. on that. Uh, mm-hmm. So today, I, I, you know, I'd come across uh, your book, and I love the title, The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. And so I, I bought you. the book, I, mm-hmm. I read it, and it was one of those books, you know, not just because you're on the show, I couldn't put it down. And then after I got done, I'm, after I got done, I'm thinking maybe it's just me. So I gave it to my wife and I said, "Hey, why don't you read it just to see if I'm, you know, off base here?" Well, she's not the best sleeper at night, and after a couple nights, she had it finished, and was like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't realize all that." And so, what what prompted you to to write the book? Yeah, no, I think uh, you and your wife are not alone. I've been hearing a lot of comments about people binge reading the book. In fact, I think the record right now is someone read it in three hours, um, just straight shot through. So They were just um, showing off. Yeah, pr- probably, probably. <laughs> but uh, in any event, um, and it was not my husband, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I the book itself really came from, um, initially from writing the book, The Marian Option. Um, when I was writing The Marian Option, I was really looking at Our Lady and her role throughout history and kind of a bird's-eye look at all these different ways that she's interceded for us. And um, But I was also looking at the role that she's played in culture and bringing order and beauty. Uh, you know, everywhere that she goes, those things follow when people have a devotion to her. And um, so I looked at, you know, she's called by National Geographic and, you know, others throughout history the, the most powerful woman in the world. And I thought, wait a minute, look at all these women in our culture today who you could argue are you know, incredibly powerful in our world, and yet they have nothing to do with who Mary is. I was really intrigued by that. I was really intrigued by the fact that the culture seems very saturated in this um, spirit, and, and that's kind of what led to coining this idea of an anti-Mary, not as an individual, although I think we could all think of individuals that we could pin the name on onto, but um, more as a spirit that has affected women really since the 1960s. And, you know, it was just kind of a, a, a hunch initially. And then um, the more I dug into it, it was just, it was overwhelming um, to see it. And I, I've had people say, you know, once you learn what the anti-Mary is, you can't unsee it, that it's kind of everywhere. The culture is really saturated in it. And um, I think that's one of the, the great things is just to help people understand how much we've absorbed this and how much it's you know, taken over the culture in a very radical way. And, you know, now that you can see it, you can sort of start getting back to that point of, you know, how do we say no to this and, and reject it, um, uh, you know, as a, as a civilization? Because truly, that's really what our civilization is hinging on. We've got, um, you know, you just can't 
continue at this pace, especially with something like abortion. We've got 3,000 abortions each day. More abortions happen than people die from cancer or from heart disease, um, you know, by a long shot. Right. So anyway, it's these are really important things that um, we need to be paying attention to. And I think, frankly, we're tired of paying attention to them. I mean, it's hard to deal with <laughs> these women's issues because there's kind of a, a certain amount of fatigue. Um, and, it, you know, it's a struggle, I think, especially for men um, who feel like they just, you know, where do we even start? Um, so I think this book has been helpful in helping people both see it, but also how do we get back to something beautiful and life-giving? Yeah, because I think reading the book, you, you realize, yeah, I, I remember hearing that, or I remember that, but you kind of crystallize mm-hmm. it and really focus it. How would you define just the term feminism? And then we can get mm-hmm. into, you know, how it's, how it's gone off the rails. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I think feminism, it just broadly speaking, the way that people generically use it, the way that sort of a common baseline is just to say, being pro-woman. Um, and yet that is, uh, I think, where it ends. <laughs> and I, I've actually moved moved away from really using the word feminism because I, I think it's so confusing. I think every woman has kind of a different set of associations with it and different definition for it. There's, there's so much baggage there, and that's what I really go through in the book. It's, it's really a deadly combination of Marxism and the occult. And, um, you know, there's a lot of it's incredibly ugly. In fact, there were things I just couldn't even put in the book because they were just so awful um, that they weren't publishable. Um, so it's, I think, recognizing that source and and really seeing that, you know, there there might have been even ideological differences among radical feminists. You've got someone, you know, very diverse women, like someone like a Kate Millett, who was very intellectual um, and, inter- you know, she was an introvert and right. actually mentally ill. Um, and then you've got sort of the Helen Gurley Brown types who, you know, she founded Cosmopolitan to be the women's version of Playboy. Um, she followed the model exactly. She used the same kinds of writers and authors and agents. And um, so they're on kind of these opposite extremes. And yet, what is it that binds them together? It's, of course, this idea of abortion. And um, that's really what has held the movement together. Um, again, even if you look at the women's movement of our own day, you know, the Women's March, um, they were happy to invite anybody in as long as you were not pro-life. Yeah, as long as you agreed with um, them, you could show up. Pretty much, exactly, yeah. on on the issue of abortion. Right, right. Um, any other stripe could, um, you know, they, they just didn't bat an eye at. So, um, so we can see really how that's the glue, and that's really what drove the ideology. And I think that you know, we have a great number of people who are trying to sort of rehabilitate the word feminism, but I think it's not really a, a, a Catholic problem. Um, I don't think it came from Catholicism. I think if you look at the roots of Protestantism, you know, what happened with Protestants? They, they threw out Our Lady, um, and they threw out religious orders for women. So you kind of left women in this position where they don't have any way to understand how they can reach God and be in proper relationship with God. Um, and that's where it comes back to even these ideas of, of um, virginity and motherhood. I mean, those are what are being attacked very specifically, um, and which is no surprise. I mean, we call Our Lady the Virgin Mother. Um, so anyway, just I think it underscores too just the importance of these these two different ways that we know ourselves within a, a relationship with with God the Father, and that's really what they're trying to destroy. So if you can destroy motherhood, if you can destroy virginity, then you really not only are you just destroying women, but you're destroying the family and the whole culture 
kind of falls like dominoes after that. Well, and you, I, I like how you start the book off. Actually, even in an introduction, it's almost like the uh, feminist manifesto that says, you know, we want to destroy mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. we want to destroy the American patriarch. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we do that by destroying monogamy, by promoting mm-hmm. promiscuity, eroticism, prostitution, mm-hmm. abortion, homo- I mean, homosexuality. So you set off the book and right. say, okay, here's here's their plan. And it's unfortunate that yeah. they've been so successful. But then, you know, shortly after that, mm-hmm. you use a great uh, quote from Aristotle about equality, that the worst inequality is to try mm-hmm. to make things unequal equal. And when right. you ponder that... Right. That just makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> it does. And and you can see how, um, you know, even looking at Protestantism today, um, what they don't, since there is no language and way to understand women, the only way that they've been able to sort of make women equal to men is to make them exactly like men. Um, so that's kind of the template that, that was started. This is why we have now female priests and pastors and bishops mm-hmm. and deacons and so on, mm-hmm. um, because they, they don't have a, a category to, to help women understand themselves in a, in a feminine way. Um, so yeah, it's it's, um, it's pretty amazing. And then, of course, you see how it's just seeped into the broader culture, into, into regular secularism, that way of thinking. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty devastating when you start seeing all of these bit pieces together in a, in a big picture and not just as individual isolated cases. Yeah, I think the thing that opened my eyes the most reading it was really the demonic piece of it. Um, I mean, it makes sense Mm -hmm. based on everything they're saying. I mean, obviously that would be all for the devil. But I mean, they were and still are, you know, really, you know, following the lead of the evil one at their own expense. I mean, there was Mm -hmm. just an article, Mm -hmm. what, within the last couple weeks or something of the woman who wrote Sex in the City. And how it now right. 60, right. you know, she gave up kids and now she's going to be mm-hmm. alone. And she laments the fact that she bought mm-hmm. into the lie. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's just really the hard thing is just there, there, it, there are all of these lies promised to us women. You know, just forget family, forget your husband, focus on your career. And, you know, I see this every day and you hear not only just young women continually buying into this, but then you hear the fallout um, of these women. They get to 50, 60, 70 years old, and what do they have? Very little, um, because of the fact that they made all of these so-called sacrifices for their family, or for their careers, rather. Right. Um, so there's an incredible sorrow and deep, deep sadness, because it's not like you can go back and you know reclaim your fertility at this stage. And this is really what Satan wants to do, is, of course, isolate us and and divide us and not to mention make us bitter and anxious and full of rage boy he's doing Um, a great job he's doing a fantastic job we have plenty of evidence of of all of that so it's it's incredibly sad that you know all of these promises are are held out to us you know sort of the, the, the fruit of the forbidden tree and we just keep eating it over and over again and yet the the results are are just the same we're not any happier and all the statistics are showing this not just for those older women but you even see it in depression um, levels substance abuse suicide rates stds all of these things are pointing to some incredibly unhappy women in in our culture today well and the other thing that surprised me and i don't know why it did but when i read that 70 percent of divorces are initiated by women I guess I never, yeah. you know, I had never thought about, you know, re- after right. reading the book, I, I right. almost think it should be 90%. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. when you hear 70, right. you're like, wow. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. you figure it'd be yeah. more like 50-50 or maybe even mm-hmm. skewed the other way. But 
it, it mm-hmm. you read this and you know all, all everything just kind of clicks into place and explains why yeah. we're where we are and mm-hmm. you mentioned abortion and all these things you know if you're willing to kill your child anything's anything's open right there's nothing yeah. off the table right. at that point right well and you mentioned the occult too i mean we're now seeing that Wicca is actually more, they're more adherence to Wicca than there are to Presbyterianism. Um, and, and we're even seeing this, of course, in um, this, the um, presidential race where you've got Marianne Williamson, who's obviously very new agey, and mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of Wicca things going on um, in her campaign, even, where she's rallying people and, um, you know, national hexes put on politicians and, and this kind of language, which um, you know, it's been stewing under the surface, but it's fascinating that it's now sort of broken above the surface and is being given an, a, a you know national platform to to be promoted, but not even refuted, right? I mean, it's almost like it happens, and everybody's exactly. like, no, "Oh, no. yeah, this is just common. This is yeah. just you know her shtick." <laughs> no, and that's an absolutely great point. I mean, it's just it's it's sort of it's it's not really even sort of scoffed at people are just sort of wondering about it or, or yeah it's just who she is or whatever you know you're right it's just kind of accepted as just that's just another facet of our culture <laughs> the other thing you know i think you know we talked about the demonic all all the all the bad things that are going on but you know when you bring mary into the mm-hmm. equation it changes everything and you actually had mm-hmm. a quote towards uh i think it was towards mm-hmm. the back uh from william golding that I think women are foolish to mm-hmm. pretend that they are equal mm-hmm. to men. They are far superior and always have been. And you know, then he goes through you know being able to produce children and make you know mm-hmm. homes and families mm-hmm. and all that thing. I mean, when you hear that, you're thinking, first of all, if you hate men, why do you want to be equal to them? That doesn't make any <laughs> right. sense. And when you have all right. this beauty, why don't you cherish the beauty that you've been given? And hopefully, when people read this book, maybe the light bulb will go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really fascinating. There's so many different ironies in it. And I think, um, you know, the big thing is just the, the fact that women have set up men as this goal um, for, for, you know, the pinnacle of existence. And yet there's just a complete denial of all the incredible gifts that, that women actually have. I mean, you have to do a lot of work to sort of ignore biologically and physically and emotionally and mentally all of these things that women have to offer to sort of cut them off. Um, and to deny them entirely, to sort of morph yourself into a man. And um, and that's why it's also interesting to see where this is led. I think you can look at the LGTB movement and say it's really a fourth wave of feminism. It's the exact same ideology. They're sort of um, localized or, or connected by, a, a, again, a, a different kind of mortal sin. Feminism, it was abortion, but for um, LGTB, it's just deviant sexuality. Um, so it's it's fascinating to see this idea of how is it that we can change human nature and really deny what is in fact there and obvious. But um, yeah, that's the other sad thing is uh, there's just not a lot of logic behind it. There's a lot of emotion and a lot of knee-jerk reaction, a lot of bullying. Um, but the logic is just not there. I've, I've been looking for it for years and um, haven't haven't been finding it. So yeah, a lot of head scratching when you when you look at the movement. It's just that how pervasive it is given what's underneath it there's so little it's it's really just kind of this house of cards that i think is just waiting to collapse when we can sort of finally open our eyes enough to see that it's it's not serving anybody well well the good news is you can stop looking for the logic right because you'll look you'll look until the end of time and when you're, you're basing it on lies right. and, uh, and, and the fear factor right. uh you know once you have to use yeah. intimidation and yeah. then all, st- all of a sudden start passing laws so you can't counsel people mm-hmm. and do these things 
you know there's yeah. no logic behind it, right? They have to use the, the iron fist. Yeah. And it does explain the trans yeah. movement, right? Because, you know, we mm-hmm. see it. It's just it's infiltrating every aspect of our society. But it's a yeah. predominant, not predominantly, but I think a larger percentage are women wanting to be men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That fits right yeah. with the, the, the narrative you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think fundamentally just getting back to this idea of how we can change human nature um, and that somehow if we pump enough hormones into somebody that that will change it. And yet we know that there's, you know, that even things like the way our elbows are shaped and our hips are shaped and, you know, all of these things, if there's just a skeleton left, clearly people are still going to know whether it was a man or a woman. Um, there's, there's no sort of blurring all of those factors um, into all these different genders. It still comes down to very two sexes, male and female. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's very much, um, at, at this point, a, um, a game of smoke and mirrors and just controlling the media. And, um, and that's what, you know, one of the things that I hope to do with this book is just show how much every woman is affected by this, this idea of the matriarchy, this group of women who's really controlling politics, fashion, music, magazines, Hollywood, you know, all of these things are, are run by these women have and men who follow them who have these same ideas about abortion and what it means to be a woman and so it's dramatically affecting us you know even in very small ways that we're not aware of um all day long well and it it affects men as well right i mean you know in the beginning you know you at contraception you know that oh guys are probably thinking hey i can do whatever Mm -hmm. i want no consequences next thing you know the steamroller's just gone right over them and they don't even know what happened. I mean, men aren't the sharpest <laughs> tools in the shed. Yeah. I mean, if I don't know right. how many boys right. and girls you have as kids, but I remember my wife right. would say for our two boys, why did they do that? I said, because mm-hmm. they just did, and they have no idea. Don't even try to delve into why they poured juice <laughs> on the carpet, because right. they don't know why right. they did. Right. Yeah, no, I've got two girls and two boys, so a pretty good um, mix of both. But um yeah, I, and that's one of the things I wanted to do in this book. In fact, I've gotten some pushback from women saying, you know, why aren't you harder on men in this book? And I, I just said, look, we've been pointing the finger at them for 50 years, blaming everything on them. We, we, we don't need another book that does that. We need to look at our responsibilities in this and ways that we have failed and to recognize that we're not perfect individuals. And I think that's one of the, the things that feminism has done is to put us on this pedestal that where we're untouchable, where we can't look at our faults and say, this is a real problem. Um, so yeah, I, I'm awfully kind to men and men in it because I have great sympathy for them. Just looking at how they're trying to respond to women and, you know, where do you even start everything from like opening doors to, yeah. you know, the proposals and all of these kinds of things have just, it's gone to be a huge mess. So it's, it's not surprising that men are just dropping out of, out of society altogether and just playing video games because when relationships get this hard, who needs them, um, especially when you've got everything at your fingertips on, on a computer and virtual reality. So, yeah, it's a it's a scary thing that we have um, we've done to men as well as to women. Well, and men have to take their fair share of the blame. And I, I agree with you. And I think a book, you know, of focusing course. on right. what's going on with feminism, how it got hijacked, even the term and everything mm-hmm. and then what you can do. But, you know, as a mm-hmm. guy reading that, you're thinking, yeah, you can see where that happens. You could see how, mm-hmm. you know, at first they thought this was going to be, you know, a pleasure pal- a paradise. And the mm-hmm. next thing you know, you know, they're not even driving the car anymore or they're not mm-hmm. opening the door right. or they're not doing these things. But, you know, at some point, hey, guys, buck up, you know, stand up and do mm-hmm. what is the right thing. Don't, 
don't mm-hmm. acquiesce to the pressure because that just makes the problem even worse. Exacerbates it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's not to say that men haven't had their culpabilities over the years, but um, I think when we're only looking at them as the problem um, and sort of expecting them to, to, you know, move at our every whim and respond in the way that we think that they should respond um, with that, again, without rhyme or reason or logic, um, then, you know, we've got some big issues there. Well, and then, you know, you really, the the end of the book is really on such a positive note, talking about Mary and all her great qualities. And, and really, that should be the model for every woman, because that's where happiness, joy, fulfillment, right. sense, you know, your right. dignity, everything come together. And it really was the model. And I think that's the fascinating thing is to just the irony that the church is so maligned today. But this is where the idea that women are equal to men came from. It didn't come from the Greeks. It didn't come from Eastern religions. It certainly didn't come from Islam. It came from Catholicism. And especially, of course, Christ starts it off in Scripture, and then we see this devotion to Our Lady growing, and through that, um, and the understanding of womanhood through religious orders and spiritual motherhood and, and, of course, biological motherhood. I mean, all of these components are absolutely essential for us to understand where our true liberation comes from. Um, and yet these are the very things that are are so maligned and, and ridiculed and um, treated as old-fashioned and unimportant in our in our own day. So, yeah, there, there really is so much there um, in terms of helping us to really liberate ourselves in a, in a true way. Um, and, and Mary is that model, and I think that that's, that was sort of the challenge of the book, too, was how do you present Mary in a way that people can relate to her? And I think um, we've made her so kind of one-dimensional or very saccharine. Um, and so I, that was really the goal, was kind of humanizing her in the sense that she understands the desire of every woman's heart and wants to bring us to that same complete joy and peace. Uh, that she has because she's so pure. And that's, you know, part of the answer is striving for holiness. And, and it's there that we find all of these things that we long for. Well, and I think you did a great job in the book, especially, you know, the first part is like, oh, my, this is, you know, hopelessness <laughs> and despair. Right. You're almost like, right. where do I go from here? And then you have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And and that's really what I wanted it to do. I mean, how many books are out there that just describe these awful scenarios and, you know, just want to ca- crawl in a cave, I think, at the end of the book. Um, and I, I didn't want to leave the reader feeling that way. I wanted there to be a real answer. And, you know, sort of Dante-esque, you know, you start with the darkness and then you, you finally get to some real light and something beautiful and, and compelling and, and something worth following. Um, so, yeah, that was very purposeful um, to make it start with the dark and end with the light. Well, you know, not to, you know, cut into your sales, but I have like three or four people who are chomping at the bit to read the book. And I'm like, hey, can I do the interview first? I have a bunch of notes in the book. So, uh, and they, they are, I mean, I, I can guarantee you after this, this morning, the, the next person in line is like, hey, can I have it? Because uh, I keep talking about it. <laughs> That's great. Well, it is also available on Kindle and um, gratefully it's in Audible too. In fact, I've had a lot of friends who say, you know, my husband's listening to it on Audible on his commute to work, and we're talking about it at night when he gets home. And so it, it's been fun to see how it's its not just a woman's book, but very much both men and women are getting so much out of it. So it's, it's neat to see. It no, it provides a great understanding for both, and I think both need to read mm-hmm. it because if it, that's this is where we are. And if we don't, have, don't understand how we got there, both men and women, then how are right. we going to work on the solution? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
Well, I can't believe we only have a couple minutes left. So how can people kind of follow what you're doing? And what are some of the other books mm-hmm. that you, you know, that you've put out and worked that, yeah, worked on or, or are working yeah. on that, that people can, you know, follow you? Sure. Um, you know, the best place, of course, is uh, my website, Um But I've also started sort of in response to all this news I've gotten or understanding I have of the way women think and operate and um, just the way that we've been kind of manipulated through magazines and the like. I've actually started my own Catholic women's online magazine. It's actually an aggregate site where we put up five Catholic articles and then there's usually five that are non-Catholic. And it, it kind of covers everything from, you know, gardening to design tips to, you know, obviously things within Catholic spirituality. Um, I think women need more than just mass on Sunday. We need we need to sort of have our homes feel like they're a place where we're growing in sanctity and we're helping others around us do that. And um, so anyway, it's called theologyofhome.com, but we've actually, um, uh, some friends and I have published a book that's coming out in September called Theology of Home, and it's kind of the opposite side of the coin of the anti-Mary. The anti-Mary is sort of the bad news um, and kind of a defense of the faith. And Theology of Home really goes on offense, where it says, this is what Catholic women and Catholic families can look like. You know, there's not, there's, there should be no shame in the word homemaker, um, because there's so many amazing things about our homes. And the home industry has just exploded. And um, I think people are really longing for uh, the rootedness of home again. And um, not, we don't really know how to go about doing it, because we've just, again, we've maligned homemaking for so long. So we've got all these trappings, but we don't really have the heart of it connected yet again. So um, so that's what the next book is doing. It's it's making our homes a place that's a real foreshadowing of heaven instead of you know feeling like hell. You've been listening to Carrie Gress, author of The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. I know I've said it throughout the interview, but I can't recommend this book more highly. If you want to get a better understanding as to where we are in our culture and how we got here, this is a book for you. It's good for both men and women, but it brings so much clarity to why we're in the state of confusion that we are today in our culture. So I want to thank Carrie for coming on and recommend that you go to her website so that you can find out more about what she has going on and books and other opportunities to learn more about the Catholic culture. I do also want to remind everybody that if you go to respectliferadio.com, You have access to every podcast for every show we've done, and we encourage you to share those podcasts with everyone.